Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, will join us. We're going to discuss this past Tuesday's Major League Baseball All-Star Game, as well as what the sale of Anheuser-Busch to Belgium company InBev could mean for all of the sports teams and venues that Anheuser-Busch sponsors. They spend about $218 million a year on sports sponsorships. That could change. We'll talk about that with Paul Swangard in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, Tim Boyle. He is the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Columbia Sportswear is one of the largest outerwear brands in the world. They're sponsoring a Tour de France team for the first time this year, so I wanted to have Mr. Boyle on to discuss why Columbia chose to associate its brand with a race that has certainly seen its reputation tainted in recent years amidst doping scandals. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I thought the Major League Baseball pregame festivities were amongst the best ever. Really a real-life field of dreams with all the living Hall of Famers joining this year's All-Stars on the field at each position. It was nice to see George Steinbrenner was able to attend the festivities. He was clearly moved by the evening's events. It was only the second time that Steinbrenner has gone to a game at Yankee Stadium this year. We'll give you more of my reviews of the All-Star Game in our next segment and then also in segment three with Paul Swangard. Lots of headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. 
Headline number one, the 79th Major League Baseball All-Star Game at Yankee Stadium wrapped up at 1.37 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday morning with the AL defeating the NL 4-3 in 15 innings. It was the longest game in All-Star history. But the main show was really the wonderful pregame ceremony involving 49 Baseball Hall of Famers and Yankees chair George Steinbrenner. The Hall of Famers were introduced and took their positions on the field. Now, the game on Fox drew an 11.018 overnight Nielsen rating for the first nine innings. That's up 11% from a 9.917 rating last year, and that was a nine-inning game. The extra six innings posted an 8.921 overnight rating. We will talk about Fox and make goods and what they were getting for their spots in those extra innings with Paul Swangard in our next segment. Bobby Corser, my producer. Bobby, I thought the game was compelling, but they really need to change two rules in my opinion. First, the winner of the game should not be given home field advantage. Just like in every other sport, the team with the best record should get home field advantage. And then they've got to do something with the rosters. This was almost disaster for the second time since 2002. Back in 2002, we saw the game called in Milwaukee when Joe Torre and Bob Brenly, the managers, ran out of players. It almost happened this time. The AL, they were down to Scott Casimir, their last pitcher. And, you know, I just think they either need to add more pitchers or they need to allow the position players to come back into the game. How cool would it be if in the late innings you could bring A-Rod or Jeter or Manny Ramirez, some of these guys back into the lineup? I think they got to do that because the rosters are too small. I completely agree with you. It's almost to the point now where the managers are afraid to put in certain players because they don't want to hurt them. They don't want to have to deal with, you know, taking phone calls from the, their team's manager saying, hey, you know, I appreciate you playing my guy, but come on, we know we need him for the regular season. I almost think now you move the All-Star game to the end of the season where there's no controversy involved. Well, and there's even some out there that say that we should do away with the All-Star game altogether. Our next headline, ESPN's telecast of the State Farm Home Run Derby from Yankee Stadium on Monday night earned a 6.4 rating, and 9.2 million viewers tuned in, making it the most viewed telecast on ad-supported cable in 2008 to date. That's ahead of the January 31st Democratic debate on CNN, which earned 8.4 million viewers. The 6.4 rating is up 25.5% from last year, marks the highest-rated home run derby since 1999 when the contest earned a 7.5 rating, from Fenway. The Derby was also ESPN's highest rated non-NFL telecast since a 6.9 coverage rating for the Florida State-Miami College football game in September of 2006. Our next headline, Belgium-based InBev's $52 billion takeover of Anheuser-Busch could spell trouble for the American sports industry. AB is the number one spender in the U.S. on sports advertising and sponsorships. They dropped $218 million in 2007 on sports ads. But AB's new corporate owners might focus on belt tightening and debt reduction. We're going to discuss this story in more detail with Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center in our next segment. Our next headline, the British Open. It's taking place at Royal Birkdale this weekend, and it's the first major of the year that won't feature Tiger Woods in the field as Woods is out for the rest of 2008 with a knee injury. We'll give you the TV ratings for the weekend on next weekend's edition of Sports Business Radio, but my hunch is that the ratings are going to drop at least 10% without Woods in the field because the casual fan who's attracted to watch Woods won't be watching this weekend. 
Our next headline, the Green Bay Packers have filed a tampering charge against the Minnesota Vikings with the NFL contending Favre, who has asked the Packers for his release, has been talking with Vikings offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel. The two became friends when Bevel was an assistant coach with the Packers. Another source suggests that Favre might have even had a conversation with Vikings head coach Brad Childress. This story gets deeper and more complicated and more uh, just acrimonious every single week. We will keep our eyes on that. Two scandalous stories this week. More people finding themselves in hot water. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Crosslights. Well, the news wasn't all good for baseball this week. Convicted steroid distributor Kirk Radomski handed over shipping receipts to federal investigators for a package of human growth hormone that he claims he sent to Roger Clemens' home in Texas in 2002 or 2003. This according to the Daily News on Tuesday night on its website. Now, supposedly Radomski was moving a TV that was broken off of his bedroom dresser and found the receipt and sent it to government officials Radomski is a former New York Mets clubhouse employee whose allegations formed much of former Senator Majority Leader George Mitchell's report on steroid use in Major League Baseball. Radomski was sentenced to five years of probation in February after cooperating with government investigators. The news gets worse by the week for Roger Clemens. And more bad news for the NBA with the Tim Donaghy scandal. Former NBA referee Tim Donaghy made more than 100 phone calls to fellow official Scott Foster at the same time he was providing information to gamblers during the 2006-2007 season. Fox News reported this earlier this week. Citing court documents and phone records it obtained, Fox reported Donaghy placed 134 calls to referee Scott Foster between October 2006 and April 2007, the period during which he has confessed to betting on games or passing on game information to gamblers. It's not known what information was exchanged during the calls between Foster and Donaghy, who is awaiting sentencing later this month in federal court? Coming up next, we'll be joined by Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. We'll talk about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Specifically, how did Fox do with the six extra innings of inventory they had for ads? We'll break that down for you. We'll also discuss the scandal that I just mentioned with Tim Donaghy and how that might affect the NBA. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Paul Swangard. He is the managing director at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. He joins us regularly. Paul, uh, thanks for making time to join us this week. Always great to be on, Brian. So the Major League Baseball All-Star Game took place this last week. And, is you know, it over yet? I know, God. The longest game in the history of the All-Star Game. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, Paul, is the game goes 15 innings. So a lot of people may look at this on the surface and go, gosh, Fox, who is selling spots for $550,000 for a 30-second spot, they cleaned up. Well, that's not really the case because their ratings on regular baseball telecasts have not been good. So these were make goods. Maybe you can explain just a little bit to our audience the whole concept of uh, make goods. Well, in the in the upfront sales process of getting advertisers to commit to the programming, the, the broadcaster, in this case Fox, is guaranteeing a, a certain ratings point for the programming they're offering, in this case regular season Major League Baseball. If, if the ratings don't reach that guaranteed level, then they have to find alternative vehicles at that rating level to give the, you know, the advertiser that benefit of the exposure that they paid for. And so in this case, the, you know, I guess the benefit of the longevity of that game was they were able to take existing uh, baseball sponsors and advertisers and put them into the rotation and those extra innings rather than having to, you know, do make goods on, you know, whether it be American Idol or, Family Guy or any you know any other vehicle that could get them that rating, and it's good news for the advertisers because they obviously wanted to use baseball as the platform to reach their consumer. And the All Star Game, um, you know, maybe it's a, a lesson to be learned. You know, maybe there'd be some uh, some some benefit to playing extra inning games every year. Yeah, no kidding. So again, the good news is is that Fox is kind of back to par with their sponsors. But the bad news is is it would have been a lot better for them if they were getting $550,000 a spot like they were during the first nine innings. Yeah, and it, it also speaks to the fact that, you know, all things being equal, and certainly there's there's a there's a rosy picture being painted about the sport of baseball right now. You know, Bud League saying in, in several interviews over the last few days that, you know, baseball has never been more popular. But the fact of the matter is traditional network broadcasts of Major League Baseball games are, as most other network programming, seeing uh, ratings decline. I think baseball, you know, enjoys the the benefit of obviously having been very proactive in the digital space, and that's, you know, ultimately where the you know where the value and the and the revenue is is going to grow from. How did you think uh, New York did as the host city for the Major League Baseball All Star Game? I mean, I think they did a nice job. I mean, it was uh, it was great to you know build this around uh, you know a signature you know last event of its kind in 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 the venerable Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, the licensing revenue was was well above um, what I think Major League Baseball even expected. They did an ancillary event in Central Park with the Bon Jovi concert. So, 
there was just a number of activities that, you know, only a city like New York or maybe among only a few cities like New York could uh, could could scale the event the way it was done. And uh, it, was a, it was a nice way to go out for the ballpark. And, uh, you know, always nice to see George Steinbrenner, uh, you know, in the ballpark, um, you know, living up to his uh, his his reputation as being one of the interesting owners in baseball. Yeah, I mean, I was very surprised to see him. Uh, obviously, he doesn't look like he's in great health, but, you know, I thought the signature moment of the two days in New York was the pregame festivities before the game and seeing the 49 living Hall of Famers who were out there taking positions next to the players who were playing in the All-Star game. I thought from a uh, an events operations standpoint, Major League Baseball did a fantastic job with the pregame ceremonies. Well, it's, it's been an interesting dynamic for baseball. I mean, they've they've been in the midst of the steroid controversy, and um, you know, and, and so much of the sport now and its success is really driven about the entertainment value of today's stars. And you know, the the thing that sports you know has to recognize and 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 cultivate and honor is its tradition. And uh, what a better place uh, to do it than Yankee Stadium and all those folks out there was. Uh, you know, like you said, just a living legends, kind of a living Hall of Fame experience for those fans. And I, uh, you know, all the the write ups on the coverage of the of the game itself, I think, centered on that as being one of the you know the highlights of the overall All Star experience. Last note on this topic, uh, Josh Hamilton. I mean, what a story this guy is. People are familiar with this story by now. Hits twenty eight home runs in the first round of the Home Run Derby. Really saves the Home Run Derby in many people's opinion. Paul, let me ask you this. If you were a marketer out there, if you're a company out there, would you sign Josh Hamilton to an endorsement deal knowing his checkered past but seeing his wonderful story this year? And and really, he's probably the MVP of the AL right now. You know, it would be a risk pick. Um, I think it comes back to, you know, looking at brands that can – you know, leverage his notoriety, perhaps his story, and uh, and not necessarily have to delve into the you know the skeletons in his closet. I mean, obviously, you know there are a lot of choices that brands have for linking themselves to professional athletes. Uh, those who are just looking for exposure may be willing to you know take the risk on a guy like Josh, knowing that you know while he has a lot of baggage right now and from a short term investment standpoint, there perhaps no better story in in baseball to connect with. Yeah, I said on my blog this week I would uh, take a chance on him and sign him up. I just think he's a great story, and I really do believe that he's turned his life around. I'm joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, let's talk about the NBA. Uh, more Tim Donaghy headlines this week, which is bad for the NBA, bad for Commissioner David Stern. Reports that Donaghy talked to another referee on a regular basis. This is the first time in the last year that this story has had legs that we see that maybe uh, Donaghy isn't a rogue referee. Maybe there was another referee. Maybe there was other conversation. This story just won't go away. Does this mean anything for the league, or do you think any people uh, really care about this? Well, I think on 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 one level, you you never want to see a story like this, and to use your words, have the kind of legs that it's had. And I think the the league and certainly Commissioner Stern would like to see this uh, move into a past chapter of, of NBA headlines. But you know, the fact of the matter is, and in discussions with a lot of senior NBA executives, both at the league and the, and the team level, this you know this is one of those instances where while we all 
as as media members and pundits, you know, continue to talk about it and cover it, not a lot of impact has been seen, you know, either in sponsors raising issues about it, um, season ticket holders saying that they won't, you know, buy into tickets because of the perceived, um, you know, lack of oversight on on referees and the games being, you know, potentially fixed. And, um, you know, I don't think the league long term wants to have that, you know, reputation. But at the same time, I think for the you know, for the general rank and file, the you know the consumer and and certainly the sponsors that drive most of the economic engine of the NBA, it's one of those issues, kind of like the steroid controversy. I mean, in baseball, we had an era where, you know, at any given moment, a fan would be at a baseball park watching a guy that was probably on some performance-enhancing substance, and yet our attendance figures in baseball have been at an all-time high. So. It's one of the interesting dynamics in in kind of the current era of professional sports that these types of um, you know things that really go to the heart of the integrity of the sport really haven't ultimately resulted in a discernible difference in fan avidity and fan interest. I guess where that argument breaks down for me, Paul, is that you know with baseball and the steroids, there's more home runs, there's more excitement, there's more runs. People love to see scoring. In this case. You know, it hits at the credibility of the game. You're not necessarily seeing more excitement. It's just taking away from, you know, is my team being jobbed by these officials? And, you know, I guess I was surprised this week. There were several columnists, well-respected columnists around the country that basically called for David Stern's job and said, you know, this is the final straw with David Stern. I thought that was a little bit strong. I, I do think that, and again, I think it's um, it's one one thing to listen to those who, who write about the league, and it's another to you know, talk to the folks who are in the heart of the business of the league and, and saying, hey, you know, is there been a legitimate, you know, reaction by, you know, fans and sponsors? Uh, you know, I, you know, having been around David and, and you have as well talking to him on your show, I mean, I think, you know, he's obviously upset by this situation, trying to deal with it in a proactive and, and meaningful manner. And, um, you know, at the same time, you know, it does speak to the fact that, you know, for most consumers, at least the ones that make the difference from these leagues being, you know, being maybe more economically viable than other leagues, is that fans see this more as entertainment. And it's, you know, in some ways, subconsciously, it's probably not as much about the quote-unquote integrity of the game as much as, you know, do I go to the, you know, do I go to the game, spend the 250 bucks, on all the you know all the price points that I have to do to get my family into the game to watch the game and I'm am I ultimately walking out of the building entertained if there's some level of um, question about the integrity it 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 matters but not in the you know at maybe not at the level that uh, a, a lot of the folks seem to want to suggest fans are uh, you know are feeling last topic uh, the king of beers Anheuser Busch. Belgium-based InBev this week took them over to the tune of $52 billion. Now, this is a big story in sports because Anheuser-Busch in 2007 spent $218 million on sports sponsorships. I mean, we see all the Super Bowl spots they buy. We see race teams. We see venues where they've had their name. Do you think InBev's takeover of Anheuser-Busch is going to affect sports sponsorships moving forward for Anheuser-Busch? Well, there's certainly a lot of people in the sports marketing sponsorship area that are that are chatting about this, you know, this very topic. If if there was a bellwether brand for sponsorship, it, it certainly would be Anheuser Busch, and uh, you know they've been so proactive and and so successful in in leveraging 
uh, sports to reach their their target consumer. You know, most expect over time that uh, you know there'll be a, a close. Um, scrutiny paid by InBev on the sponsorship spending that's being done by Anheuser-Busch. You would expect maybe even in the short term to see them, um, you know, pare that down, you know, maybe as an experiment to see if the brand can still, you know, get the kind of lift with consumers without having to plow all this money into the sports space. But, you know, I think ultimately, you know, it's a brand that is a perfect match for the sports category and and I wouldn't expect to see a dramatic reduction but at the same time um you know it'll be interesting to see whether uh you know th- they take a little bit more closer look at some of their major deals and decide that you know maybe they don't have to spend as much and see if they can get the same benefit well and you just look if they're going to make cuts somewhere instead of closing breweries and and laying people off they're probably going to make cuts in this area I would think before they do that wouldn't you think I mean, I think that's the you know, the inherent problem with sponsorship, I and mean, we we all even in the educational space, like here at the Warsaw Center, or in you know companies like IEG and and other companies that look at sponsorship. You know, the problem with sponsorship is it's not as easy to measure the effect of this. I mean, is you know is someone really at the new Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis that'll have a Bud um, and a Bud Light uh, area in one of the end zones that'll be branded uh, Budweiser. I mean, do they literally walk out of the stadium after an Indianapolis Colts game and and rush out to buy Budweiser product? You know, the, the challenge is understanding how you measure the return on that investment and in in any business that's looking at where they can spend uh, or where they can they can cut their expenditures, sponsorship and marketing tend to be looked at initially because if you can't justify it, that's where you would say, well, let's see what we can do without that spending. And then if we see a, a negligible impact, then we knew that maybe that was the best place to, to, you know, to cut our expenses. Paul, before I let you go, uh, how are things going at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon? Well, I'm always impressed how uh, fast the students disappear from the campus once the school year is <laughs> over. Uh, you know, got all of our students, uh, you know, out doing internships, you know, varied from, uh, you know, back in New York with the NBA to, you know, brands uh, up and down the West Coast in the in the Midwest and got a couple of kids involved in the Beijing Olympics from a sponsorship activation standpoint that we're pretty excited about. Um, gearing up as uh, you probably are already getting those uh, you know one year anniversary senses of the uh, the trip to to China in September we're going to take them out to the Beijing uh, Paralympic Games and get our first chance to sit down with Tim Chen the new CEO of NBA China to really sort of focus on what will be the most interesting story in sports business I think in 2009 which is the afterglow of the Beijing Games and and certainly the NBA and their plans to launch a domestic Chinese professional basketball league will be one of the stories that we'll be following uh, in the coming months well i'm sure that's going to be a great trip uh if you want to learn more about the warsaw sports marketing center go to warsawcenter.com paul thanks as always for making time for us this month thanks brian you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, 
hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Tim Boyle. He is the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Columbia Sportswear is one of the largest outerwear brands in the world and the leading seller of ski wear in the United States. And Tim was named president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear back in 1989. Tim, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for having me uh, join you today. So, Tim, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the history of Columbia Sportswear, can you give us a brief snapshot of how the company got started back in 1938? <laughs> yeah, even though it seems like I'm old, I wasn't around then. Yeah. <laughs> my grandparents uh, immigrated from Germany and, and bought a little hat and cap company here in Portland. And uh, my dad was joined the company after my folks were married and ended up uh, running the business. Uh, and uh, it was about a million-dollar business in 1970. Uh, the company was a local distributor of headwear products, and we actually had a little manufacturing facility. We made some ski products and some fishing vests, things like that. Uh, in 1970, we were doing about a million dollars in volume. My dad died suddenly. I was a senior in college, and so I came home to help run the business. And um, my mom and I together took the business to a half a million dollars in sales in 1971. So uh, things were ugly for a long period of time. We We got some help from some great people uh, at Nike uh, who were, you know, at that time that was a brand new company as well. And uh, we had an, an early um, Nike employee help us sort of to find the way. And we've been very uh, fortunate that we've now got a global business, uh, you know, approximating a billion four in sales. And we have almost 40, uh, 44% of our sales are outside the U.S. So we have a nice growing business. It's an amazing story, and you and your mother, Gert, have a real special relationship. And not everyone would be able to work so closely with a family member, but you and your mom really make it work. Maybe you can explain some of the dynamics between the two of you that make your relationship so successful. Well, it's really about uh, division of duties. And uh, so if we stay out of each other's way, (laughs) that's, uh, that's a critical success factor. And what would you say, you know, you talk about the growth of the company. What would you say was really the turning point where you said, okay, I can see that this is now going to become a, a billion-dollar company instead of, you know, that million-dollar company that you talked about when it first started? Well, uh, there was a lot of turning points, but none of them uh, ever in the early days would have ever led me to believe that we would be anywhere near a billion dollars. Uh, so that came much, much later. But, uh, you know, there were there were little minor successes along the way. Uh, Certainly one of them was uh, our um, relationship with the W.L. Gore Company, the makers of Gore-Tex, and we were, we were their largest customer for many, many years, uh, producing lots and lots of Gore-Tex garments and sold them globally. Uh, and then we had uh, successes with other products, including our Bugaboo Parka, which is our famous interchange jacket, our Quad Parka, which is our, 
one of the garments that launched our success in um, in waterfowl apparel. Um, and then there's some footwear successes along the way, including our Bugaboot, which has uh, you know really revolutionized the winter footwear business. So there have been a lot, uh, but none of them would ever have predicted that we could be as successful as we are today. You know, it's really amazing how technology and innovation, especially with garments, have changed over the past 10, 20 years. You know, I see you've got the Omni-Shade garment that protects the person wearing it from harmful ultraviolet rays. You've got Omni-Dry garments that help people stay dry. I mean, maybe you can talk about just how technology has helped you break through as well with some of your sales. Well, it's important for consumers to know why they should be buying a Columbia product versus any of the other myriad of of garment manufacturers. So uh, for us, our story is technology and protection uh, to allow you to stay outdoors longer. And so that's that's key for us. And uh, so we try to uh, really scour uh, technology um, developers in the textile business to find ways to help consumers stay protected, and whether it's from the sun or from heat. We have a new technology that we're going to be debuting in spring 09 that we call freezer fabric, which uh, we've got some garments made out of this, which are designed for saltwater fly fishing in uh, in the very hot areas of the, of the world around the equator. And that fabric is itself around 20% cooler than normal fabric. So we've made some garments out of that that we're going to be debuting in spring 09. But um, there's just a lot of technology that's going into our garments, which allows us to differentiate ourselves from from other people just selling T-shirts and hats and shirts and jackets. Sure. My guest is Tim Boyle. He is the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Tim, uh, some people may not know outside of Portland that uh, Nike and Adidas have headquarters in Portland just like you do. You don't have nearly the marketing budget that those companies have. Maybe you can explain how Columbia Sportswear has been able to find its own niche and compete against those companies on a smaller budget. I know some of the ads you've done with your mother are just fantastic and award-winning. Well, thanks. We uh, we do have a small budget. We, we're, uh, we're really trying to get noticed um, in a more efficient way, uh, and, and we think we've done that. But it's all about differentiating yourself from those great other companies who have much bigger budgets. So the key for us uh, in our marketing as well as in our products is to make sure we're differentiated and telling a story in a, in a different way from, uh, from others. And uh, that's, that's what's really helped us to be successful with a smaller budget. Well, one of the things you've done that's different is you are sponsoring a Tour de France cycling team for the first time, Team High Road. They're doing pretty well. Mark Cavendish won the 12th stage of the Tour de France. Maybe you can talk about associating your brand with the Tour de France brand, because it's no secret, Tim, that the Tour de France brand has suffered a little bit in the last few years amidst doping allegations. What led you to want to get involved with the cycling team and with this race? Well, it was serendipitous. Uh, One of our uh, members of our board of directors, John Stanton, introduced us to Bob Stapleton. He and Bob had worked together in the cell phone business, and uh, Bob uh, had purchased uh, the T-Mobile team uh, and was looking for some sponsorship and talked to us about how he was changing not only the management of the team to be much more uh, of a an American team style as opposed to a star-led, franchise-led uh, rider, 
and also he was explaining to us uh, his methodology for um, preventing doping uh, with his team, and we were very impressed with uh, with all those things, and um, that really encouraged us to, to become involved, and it's been a total home run. As you said, um, Mark Cavendish won his third uh, stage, in, and he's a brand-new rider. I think he's just 23. He might have had his 23rd birthday just a few days before the Tour de France started, so he's obviously going to be a, a very strong performer for a long period of time. Uh, yeah, for for a period of time over the weekend, last weekend we held uh, three out of the four jerseys, which represent the leader, uh, the sprinter, and uh, and the best new rider. So uh, it was it's been a real real home run for us. But why the Tour de France? There's so many different events you could sponsor, so many athletes you could sponsor. You know, from what I've read, you're really trying to reach out to the European market in in a bigger way. Is that the main reason? Well, it's not just the Tour de France. So we we sponsored the team, which uh, which includes a women's team, which has had even more success than the men's team. Uh, and professional cycling has a has a season which lasts around 270 days. So for Americans uh, who are aficionados, obviously they they follow that. But it's it's uh, it's a it's an event which is Super Bowl esque in Europe in terms of its recognition and uh, and viewership. So uh, this was really a European centric um, investment for the company, but uh, but we've had great results here in the U.S. as well. I would imagine that because many of the team sponsors have dropped in recent years that your company was able to get a, a pretty decent price. Uh, would that be an accurate assessment? Well, it's the largest investment we've ever made in a in a promotional event. So, um, you know, it was significant, and uh, it means a lot to the company, and, uh, you know, hopefully it, it means a lot to the to the rest of the cycling community uh, that we're supporting this, this turnaround in the uh, in that area. Are you able to disclose how long you've signed on as a, a sponsor of this it's, team? It's a three-year deal, so uh, this is the first of the three years. So uh, we hope that the rest of the period of time is, is as successful, certainly. And then I'm just curious, and I would imagine that uh, many of the sponsors would have this concern, but if there were any doping allegations related to your team, do you have any kind of a, a moral clause that uh, you know basically says – if there's any of those problems, we don't want to have our brand associated with this team and we can get out of this. Well, our arrangement is with, with Bob Stapleton, the team owner, and he's got uh, significant uh, controls over his riders that would allow him to make changes if necessary uh, for the team and the health of the team. And so we're relying on him to to you know police the, the riders and make sure that he's got the, the proper group riding for him. Have you ever been over to uh, to watch the event in person? I haven't. I'm a I'm a newly minted <laughs> fan of the Tour de France and of professional cycling uh, in general. So uh, I'm learning every day. Well, I would guess before it's all said and done, you'll be making a trip over there in the next three years. I hope so. So let's talk for a few minutes about some other things. Uh, I see you're opening up a Columbia Sportswear store in Chicago on famed Michigan Avenue. Great location. I have visited your store here in downtown Portland many times. Um, maybe you can talk about opening up specialty stores like the one that exists here in Portland, like this one that sounds like it's going to open in, in Chicago. Is that going to be a trend? Are you going to be doing more of that in the future? We will. We're going to open uh, several stores, um, not not hundreds, not even probably tens. Over the next several three years, we may have uh, 10, 12 globally. 
but we want to make sure that uh, our brand is visible on high traffic, uh, major metropolitan areas around the around the world. And uh, this is just one of a few we'll be opening. Uh, they'll be very, um, very nicely appointed, and, and they'll be they'll be a great place for fans of the brand to see the breadth of the product that we make that they may not find in their local sporting goods store. Yeah, do you find that it gives you some advantages to present your product in a different way than it would be in a, a Dix or an REI or a GI Joe, someplace like that? Yeah, well, we can really uh, control the the way the brand is presented, and we can tell the technology stories uh, in our own stores, which uh, you know another retailer may not be able to, to dedicate the kind of space or resources to uh, to that storytelling uh, about the products. So uh, this will give us an opportunity to really explain to consumers the the breadth of um, of technology that that's that is in our products, and um, we're looking forward to being able to showcase. Uh, things that we're excited about that, that contain interesting and unusual technologies. You are listening to Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by Tim Boyle. He's the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Just a few questions left, Tim. I noticed by visiting Columbia.com that you don't sell your merchandise online. Is there a reason for that, and might that change in the future? Well, the um, we we don't sell our products directly online, but we have many great customers that sell online that sell our products online. So. Uh, we want to make sure that we've got uh, strong, solid uh, customers uh, in the online world. And, uh, you know, it, it's possible that at, at some point in time we may sell direct. But right now we have a great selection of uh, our products available online through great online retailers. Last question for you. Uh, the Olympics are coming up in Beijing. I was in Beijing uh, last year and got to see firsthand just what an emerging economy uh, China has. I want to ask you, if you look into your crystal ball in the next 10 years – what is the most important market on earth for Columbia Sportswear? Well, my my crystal ball is a little foggier than that. I can't really see out as many uh, years as, as maybe <laughs> I should. But, you know, there's no question that uh, these emerging markets will be strong performers for us. But we still have a lot of room to grow here in the U.S. and in, in Europe. So um, we've got lots of opportunities globally. And, um, you know, we've we got to concentrate on each one individually. But uh, I'm guessing that uh, over time, Europe and the U.S. will still lead, you know, for a period of time, will still lead the, the business. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you taking time to join us. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Tim, it's a pleasure to finally catch up with you. Continued success to you and your company, and I'd love to have you on the show again sometime in the future. Well, thanks very much for talking with me. I really enjoyed it today. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, 
We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, CBS and longtime college basketball analyst Billy Packer parted ways this week. Packer has called 34 straight Final Fours and was with CBS for 27 years. He'll be replaced by studio analyst Clark Kellogg. Bobby, I think if CBS was really smart, they would replace Jim Nance as well, and they'd replace him with the guy who I think is the most exciting broadcaster in the NCAA tournament, Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson and Clark Kellogg, I think, would make a much better tandem than Nance and Packer ever made. I understand why CBS will continue to keep Nance. He is the face of NBC or CBS Sports. You know, welcome friends or whatever he always says. I'm glad Billy's gone. I like the guy, but it's he's too over the top. It's just college basketball. I think he kind of... You know, he doesn't do it for me. He doesn't bring the well, He's, like, condescending. Yeah, he is. And and he's too he's too much of a know-it-all, and I think he's kind of a fuddy-duddy. And I think Clark Kellogg will be a more refreshing voice. And then send Jim Nance to the Masters early. CBS has the Masters. Just send him to Augusta. Say, go do your thing. Go do your research. And put Gus Johnson on. I mean, I want to know from you, the listener— Drop me a note at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com if you have an opinion on this. Wouldn't you rather see Gus Johnson and Clark Kellogg than Jim Nance and uh, Clark Kellogg? Listen, I've got nothing against Jim Nance. I think he's a pro's pro, does a good job. But I just think that Gus Johnson is the best broadcaster when it comes to making a game exciting. I mean, he can make, like, checkers sound exciting. And he's so great with the NCAA tournament. I'd love to, to hear him calling the games in the Final Four. I'm always disappointed when we had to get switched to Nance and Billy Packer and I couldn't hear Gus Johnson anymore. All right, that's my rant on CBS and and the Final Four. A lot of thank yous on this week's show. Tim Boyle, the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. uh, Great conversation with him. Really interesting to learn about uh, their sponsorship of the Tour de France and also learn more about the history of the Columbia Sportswear Company. We often hear about Nike and Adidas, but Columbia Sportswear is a billion-dollar company. They're doing great things. Good to catch up with Tim Boyle. Paul Swangard also joined us from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. I want to thank our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, and our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. You can also get our interviews by clicking on the interviews page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business Radio.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.